0: Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 306th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and this episode is brought to you by Hulu's original series, The Handmaid's Tale. For your awards consideration in all categories, stream now at hulu.com slash FYC. My guest today is an actress and singer who catapulted to international stardom with her hilarious contributions to two unconventional blockbusters released during the summer of 2018, Gary Ross's all-female Ocean's 8, and John M. Chu's all-Asian Crazy Rich Asians, and who subsequently garnered outstanding notices for her dramatic turn in Lulu Wang's Sundance Sensation turned arthouse breakout of 2019 The Farewell, a July release which still possesses the year's highest per theater average gross. For her performance in that film, She has already been nominated for a Best Actress Gotham Award and is very much a contender for a Best Actress Oscar nomination as well. Nora Lum, or, as she is better known, Aquafina. Over the course of our conversation at the offices of The Hollywood Reporter, the 30-year-old and I discussed her childhood as a rebellious New Yorker raised by her grandmother, her accidental career as a rapper, which has thus far been highlighted by the 2012 viral music video My Vag, how that, in turn, led to her first film opportunities. Why the farewell, her first dramatic project, was so personal and rewarding. Plus, much more. And so, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Thank you so much for doing this. What do you prefer to be called, Nora or Apofina?
1: You know, I, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You, can me, you can call me anything you want, yeah.
0: <laughs> Alright, well, just... I uh, usually
1: introduce myself as Nora.
0: You do, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for doing this, Nora. Uh, and uh, we always begin this podcast just with the basics for people who may not know. Where were you born and raised, and what did your folks do for a living?
1: Oh wow! I was born in Stony Brook, Long Island. Mm-hmm. I was raised in Forest Hills, Queens, and my mom was a, a like an like a painter,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and my my dad was a was an an IT guy,
0: and. You know, you've spoken in the past about the fact that at the age of four, you lost your mom. And I know that for anybody at any age, that's that's tough. But I wonder if you remember that time and if you have any sense of how it shaped you as a person, because that that's a period when we're all kind of forming ourselves. I wonder if you think it it yeah. sort of shaped you.
1: Yeah, I think it, I think it definitely did. I think it was one of those one of those events. And I and I do remember it. I think I was really young, and I think I remember feeling very young and feeling like I was expected to not have a degree of control over my emotions, but I did, and I think that was a weird thing, processing that. I think I learned embarrassment super young. That was one of the first things that I remembered feeling. and so. What did you
0: have to be embarrassed about?
1: Just being embarrassed, maybe on behalf of other people (laughs) or on behalf of myself, just the feeling of, of inadequacy and just... And I think, I think, you know, I've said this a lot out of, out of that, I think came this kind of need for people to be happy, to feel joy. And I, I, I think I wanted to keep things light, yeah. you know? Yeah.
0: One thing that, I mean, and actually this is sort of what you've just said, but I, I thought it was really interesting and well put where you you had said in another interview, I read prepping for this quote, I think all the time, what would I have been doing if my mom hadn't passed? Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd be here because I think I'd had to face a certain level of trauma to be so joyously self-deprecating mm-hmm. and so free. I thought that's interesting. And so basically after that happens, you and your dad, do you, you basically both move with your, to your with your grandmother?
1: No, my me and my dad, my dad always stayed in Queens. He had yep. an apartment there. And then my grandma's well, my grandma had a restaurant that ended up kind of going out of business, so she moved to Queens from Long Island Got it. to and raise me, yeah.
0: Just because of the obvious parallels with the farewell, it's interesting because you describe it as basically that she's the, the person who raised you, right? Yeah, for sure. And very, you felt very close, still to this day, I think, very yeah. close with her, right? Yeah. Um, growing up in, in in that environment and consuming pop culture like anybody else, what was out there, you know, that... Sort of resonated with you growing up. Was it music, comedy, drama? What what, do you, what were you into?
1: I mean, comedy is a part of every kid's life. I think. I think that kids watch a lot of comedy, but but and and I loved it. But I think it was also like what was available at the video store. And when I started going to the video store and like renting stuff, I, I remember A League of Their Own had yeah. just came out, and that was like one of the first movies I ever saw. I would replay it over and over again, over again. And I I just remember not thinking because of A League of Their Own that it wasn't weird for girls to play baseball, even though that was like the entire premise of the movie. Um, But, but yeah, I think that, that really, and then, and then there were comedies that my parents really liked, like my dad and my grandma really loved my cousin Vinny. So that was like, that was a big, like that kind of humor and and kind of recognizing that you know the differences and 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 Joe Pesci and like I'd watch Carol Burnett with my grandma and and then I would watch a lot of Comedy Central. I'd watch like a lot of uh, Strangers with Candy, but then also <laughs> discovering Margaret Cho, yes. you know. And I and I was also obsessed with like SNL, and Mad TV, and all that. <laughs> so yeah.
0: Well, and I want to come back to Margaret Cho because it seems like when people have asked you about you know they talk to you about how important it is for young kids to see people that look like you mm-hmm. today. There weren't a ton of people like that growing up. There's still not a ton of people, but there are more. I heard you describe sort of two polar opposites. There was – you give an example related to Air Bud, <laughs> uh-huh. and then you give an example related to Margaret Cho. Can you yeah. just – maybe share so people know what this was like.
1: Yeah, I um I remember like loving Airbud and thinking like how cool it would be to be Airbud's owner, <laughs> but then also realizing how that would be a completely different movie because they'd have to recast the parents and like everyone would look different and so that it just seemed like a dream that just didn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Like I could, I could imagine myself in all these different worlds or places or or people, but it wouldn't make sense because it just, it doesn't exist. But then seeing Margaret Cho, you know, at such a young age, not understanding like half of her jokes, but, but knowing that her, her self-confidence and her sense of self was something that I had never really seen, especially out of like an Asian American woman. And um, yeah, it was, it was very moving for me. And I think, if you don't see that, it's just little glimpses like that that can really change an entire perspective. So I think that's, you know, you need to see a little bit of it.
0: And the way sure. you, you had once put it, and I thought it was really kind of profound. You said, quote, Margaret Cho saved me in many ways. She was the one that showed me it's OK. I remember whenever I did anything weird or I tried to be funny, I'd think about Margaret Cho. She made it seem possible, close quote. And yeah. eventually you guys did get to know each other. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah. She I remember she hit me up, you know, back in the day. Yeah. And, um, we did a music video together and it was, it was so cool because, you know, she is what you'd want her to be. And she's, and she, you know, has been through, has been through this. So she really, you know, she, she gets it and it's, it's really cool to have her. Yeah.
0: Growing up, it seems like you've said that basically like every birthday you had the same wish you want to be on TV. Oh, why, did, why do you, why was TV and not film or stand or anything? What, what made TV seem so appealing?
1: I think um, maybe maybe it was Margaret and it was um, I think it was a sense that I wanted I, I wanted to entertain people. That's what I really loved. I loved doing that. And, you know, as a kid, you don't really understand what is in that world, you know, or what goes into it. But, yeah, I remember, you know, it was people underestimate how strong pop culture is in in how we're raised in this country, especially children of immigrants, you know? We're raised off, uh, we consume the music, we consume the TV, the films. It's how we put together the American experience. It's how how we build one that mirrors our own. And I think when we're growing up and and we feel like we are different in some ways or we want to whatever, you know, it just, yeah. It's harder to imagine a reality, yeah.
0: And for you, the first way in which you were able to, I guess, entertain people was actually music, right? How did you get into the trumpet and how did the trumpet then lead to LaGuardia which is you know if people need a reference that's the the school (laughs) from fame it's a lot of very talented young people and lots of dancing on taxis (laughs) and yeah uh
1: synchronized dancing on taxis yeah I remember my friends would have like piano lessons and different lessons but I never my my parents didn't care enough to like put me through those but I uh I remember I went to I was asked in elementary school if I wanted to join the school band and I was like oh my god that's so cool we're gonna march oh my god um (laughs) But because I went to school in Queens, we didn't march anywhere, just a static band. And I wanted, I, initially, my gut thing was like, let's, I want to play the drums. Like, I want to just be, go ham on the drums. Like, I want to do that. But there was like, you know, there's only one drum set and right. 50 kids wanted to play the drums. And I was like, no, I'm not in a rotating circle to play the drums. Like, and then, and then I, I figured, I, I, I realized the trumpet was so loud. And then also, there was a characteristic within it where it's almost, you could tell your voice. So, like, even if you have like a raspy like you could you can tell like really subtle things through it and and I thought that that kind of like that your voice can read through was always like really was always a cool characteristic of it so I loved it and it was a totally self-guided journey with the trumpet you know just me and the trumpet you know there's no outside forces (laughs) trying to get us to you know get married or any of that Uh, we just like loved each other and eventually that led to LaGuardia so what happens in LaGuardia is like you know, and this is to my fault, not to Laguardia's fault. Like, it plucks the best kids mm-hmm. out of out of each junior high school from the city. So you go from being like like number three in like your class, but then you go to Laguardia and you're just like number eight hundred, <laughs> and you're just horrible. Right. So yeah, um, well, ha- a trumpet ha- dream deferred. Yes.
0: Well, and I think it's interesting though. You took an unconventional route to auditioning to get in, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. I, I played the Beatles. At the, I I heard people go and play like Bach and like <laughs> just going on like insane jazz riffs, and I go and playing. I want to hold your hand, but it tickled them, so that yeah. was nice. Yeah. No,
0: and uh, so I guess was it while you're there, immersed, you know, amongst all these other people that are also into music, that you separately are discovering hip hop, rap, and actually that you might want to make that kind of music yourself.
1: Yeah, I, I always loved making music, and and I think growing up. I loved obviously listening to music. I loved hip-hop. And when I discovered, like, indie hip-hop, I, I started to, like, just love that genre and, 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 and discover so many things, like, within it. And I loved producing beats. I just, I loved... Jay Dilla, I loved DJ Rashad, like all of these, these producer guys I just looked up to. And I was starting to discover the technology around high school as well. And with that, even remembering the landscape of like producing back in the day was, was, it was so, there wasn't a lot of information. No one was really doing it yet. So I remember just being really into like this new thing. And, and at school, it's like the music education is great, but at the same time, you want, you do want to take your own kind of control. I wanted to record myself playing the trumpet and stuff yeah. like that. So, so I got really into that and yeah. That Just was,
0: with the same tools that anybody else would have garage band or whatever. It was right? my
1: first MacBook with, yeah. with the garage band in it on it. Yeah. And I always wondered what it was and it, you know, finding out what it was <laughs> was really cool. Yeah.
0: So you weren't necessarily sharing any music at that point, but I think it was at that same point that you decided that there, maybe you should have a alternate persona to Nora or
1: yeah, I think, well, I always had one, and it was around the time where I started doing music, yeah, that I, that Aquafina. you know, because I was always just known as being really awkward, and it was a take on, you know, whatever, but well, I, I... That's
0: that's important, though, so Aquafina it comes from awkward and fine, or what?
1: Well, yeah, I guess, yeah.
0: Is that, but that was what you were thinking fi- it's,
1: it, Yeah, well, I, awkward, and then spelling it that way, yeah yeah, 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 for sure, and I always, I always liked those names, and I, <laughs> I don't know, Uh <laughs>
0: But it was nothing to do with water.
1: water. No, nothing to do with <laughs> nothing to do with water. You know, yeah. yeah. I'm not gonna be selling water. Right. Soon, so that'll be good. Um, but yeah, it was something that you know, it, you know, at the at the time, I didn't think. Like I would have even have a website or anything like it, that. At that time, none of that existed. Right. You know, YouTube was yeah. barely yeah. a thing. So yeah, it was it was a.
0: Was it so? There, the only person that knew about this was you, or were other people? Me aware? and my,
1: my my good friends, Kim, yeah. my my best friends, yeah. helped me come up with a name.
0: Yeah. And so now comes the time you go off to college, University of Albany, SUNY. And what did you think at that point your life would look like when you got out? What was the what was the plan at that point
1: I think I was fairly disillusioned with music I think one thing that LaGuardia showed me was the if you did want to do the arts like like this is this is what it would look like and it was it was an atmosphere that I frankly felt I just I I wasn't good enough for I I wasn't good enough to keep up with you know I don't think I was ever going to be good enough to like play in the pit of the Lion King or whatever so I think I was disillusioned by that and you know it was also at the same time when a lot of people are discovering that they want to go into entertainment or discovering they want to go into music or you know I really loved writing I love you know my whole life so I decided to go into journalism and then and then I was just kind of discovering school again, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't a good student in high school, but in college, something changed. And I think that I, I started, I became genuinely interested in some of the stuff I was studying. And I remember just to fill in like a gen ed course, I took a women's studies course and I was like blown away by how much it covered, yeah. like beyond just, you know, what people would think of as, as just covering feminism. Yeah. Like it goes so far and beyond and it covers just a lot, just injustice and equality in like all of its forms. And. It was very mind blowing. It was like the most mind blowing class I've ever taken. So I, you know, I really wanted to do that. And yeah, college was cool. But I, th- I don't. I think that's when it started to set in. Like I don't know what I'm going to do doing for the rest of my life.
0: And it, during the college years, I think is when you actually took a year and went to China. Yeah. right? What was the? Was that a study abroad program or what was? What was that?
1: That was my friend Vicky that wanted to go to China and knew that I was Chinese and was just like kind of at a party like, "Do you want to go to China?" And I, and. <laughs> me thinking like, you know, my whole life, I never even thought about it. Like I never even thought about going back. And I think that age was, was an age where as an Asian American, you're starting to realize, you know, that there is a self exploratory aspect to like your identity. And it's one that I think we grapple with. Cause I think when we grow up, we spend a lot of the time realizing how different we are and, and how different we're, we're treated. People just like people just, you know saying things or whatever your whole life. So you don't really see it as something that you want to explore. And I think that around 18 or 19 was really like, no, that's where I'm from. And I want to, I want to find out more about it. So I went, I went there for like maybe two weeks Mm -hmm. and I, I really like I really enjoyed it. I met, I met my family out there and they were like so warm and kind. And I knew that I wanted to see them again. And it was a feel it was a culture shock, but one that I think was very relevatory. You know, I think it was like I I needed to end up here at some point just to see what where my family came from, where my grandma used to live.
0: Did it reinforce, though, something that you've talked about and and certainly that your character in The Farewell feels, which is that you're caught between these two worlds. When oh, yeah. you're in China, you know, you have sort of connections there, but you didn't speak the language very well, right? i didn't speak the
1: language at all and and that was a big thing and yeah and you you're always going to feel like that and and i think that it was revelatory for me in in a sense that i just kind of understood what what those gripes were growing up yeah. and, and and going back and then realizing what it is but then also knowing that you're american you know at 18 or 19 first time in china like you're you're american and so there were ups and downs of emotions for that from that trip
0: so i think it was Back in the States, while you're still in college, that you commit to probably, I think at this point, just the page, not a video or anything, your your first tune, which for a lot of people, it was their way of ultimately of discovering you, mm-hmm. called My Vag. Yes. Um, and I believe it was sort of inspired by... The song "My Dick." Yeah, this is your play on that. It's got some great lyrics. I particularly love quote, "My Vag won Best Vag, Your Vag won <laughs> Best Supporting Vag." <laughs> yeah. As a guy who covers awards, um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: I'm glad you got that, that. It meant a you. lot to me. <laughs> yes,
0: but okay. So at 19 years old, with all this other stuff going on in your life, what inspired you to sit down and and do that?
1: I was making music religiously at that point at that point toward like my my late teens I was like so into it and I loved it so much and I you know saved all my money and got all the equipment and all that stuff so I was deep in it and and I realized that I loved I also loved like songwriting so I sat on my bed one night and The whole song was written as I went and yes at that time Mickey Avalon's my dick was blazing up the charts and uh (laughs) you know so it was deeply influenced by that right so I where it would go. And there was never a plan behind it. There was never like, well, this is it where, you know, there's a big release plan. Like, no, it it was something that I did. And I wasn't even really going to share. And I hadn't really, I probably only given to given it to like three or four friends.
0: And so just if I have the chronology, right, you write it, you finish school. It's not like that really changed the course of anything for a while, finish school, graduate, get your first job. And then at I think it was, I'd read on your 24th birthday mm. out in the real world with a real job, something inspired you to put this online. Why did that happen? And what happened as a result of that?
1: Well, yeah, that's it. That's very true. When on my, I worked in a video store and there was a guy named Court Dunn who used to come in all the time and we became really good friends and and he did music videos and he got it from my coworker, who I was very close with Milton and he's actually in the video (laughs) we did it as we shot some of it at his house so it was very low budge Um, but I sent it to Milton and, and then yeah court pretty much um was like you got to do this and at the time i was like oh god like it's so it's so old like i can't believe it even it's even coming up right now it's years (laughs) later but it was it was something about i think where i was and i think him diminishing like how big it could be like you know at worst at worst no one will care like that Mm -hmm, kind of thing mm -hmm. and i thought that was relatively safe and and i also knew that i wasn't happy i i you know i just wasn't happy at my job and I still didn't know what what was to come. And I think I had a lot. I didn't have anything to lose. That's really what it was. I had nothing to lose. And so yeah i put it on and, and and i'll say to this day it was it was the biggest decision of my life pressing the publish button
0: yeah and part of it though was the reason i think you have glasses on in the video uh-huh. that should yeah. someone ever see this maybe they won't realize it's yeah. you
1: he he would see well i wanted to give myself that extra insurance yeah <laughs> Superman, and so yeah 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 exactly yeah clark yeah, yeah. except it's like very obvious right. um but yeah so yeah the glasses
0: yeah okay so at that point, I think when you hit publish had, I don't know if it was a second job or a new job, but you're doing something else at that point, right? What were you doing at that point?
1: So at that point, you know, as, as the story goes that on my birth on, on my obligatory office birthday, <laughs> it was found out that I had done a video of that nature.
0: But this is now when you're working at a, as a publicist.
1: Yeah. Well, an assistant, I was an, assi- an assistant okay, yeah. okay, okay. And, and this was like, you know, my first office job. Yeah. And so and I think that also, like, I was just was really bad at my job. I think, I, and I've said this, one of the things that I had to do as per the job description was was send out the New York Times bestseller list, which was essentially spam mail, you know. And so I forgot to do that like two yeah. weeks in a row. And and I think that coupled with the weird reveal that I am doing videos called My Badge, I think that really my boss was just like, forget it. And um, yeah, send I was you fired. Home. Yeah.
0: Was that a really low moment or was it freeing in a way?
1: It was low. It was really low. But yes, also freeing because I didn't have to stay. I didn't have to finish out my day. Like I could just go home. <laughs> and I think at that point, all I really wanted to do was like not have to wake up the next morning at six and get, yeah. sit in rush hour train traffic. So yeah, I, I, it was freeing, but it but I had no game game plan. You know, I think it, it just seemed like such a hurdle to just start all over again. And with that, and but I was willing to do it. And But I thought, I figured, you know why not just lay low for a little bit, you know, work, work somewhere where I don't, you know, I could work at like, I could go into work like 5pm instead of, you know, so yeah.
0: And the, the, I guess maybe a a legacy of being in publicity was just the knowledge that if you're now kind of more committed to doing music, you got to get this out there a little bit, right? And so I guess it started sending it to like the Hairpin and different places, right? And what It wasn't like, you know, today sometimes you go on Twitter and something has become huge overnight. This was more of a a slow build, right?
1: This was a really slow build and I think it was um, around this around the time when viral videos were, it was like the tail end of like the viral video phenomenon, yeah. which is like these these videos of, you know, Charlie bit my finger and all, right, all this right. stuff, kind of coming in at, at the, the tail end of that, but yeah, I, I, I remember, because also the when the video was filmed to when it came out, was it was a long time, so I wasn't just waiting for that video to come out to like eat, you know just like, <laughs> I just want, I didn't even get a cut of it, you right. know, I just wanted to, so when it was coming out i actually had my my best friend who actually is the reason why i ended up at that office in the first place was like was a big fan of like of of the hairpin specifically and got me onto it and just over over text she was in it she plays the girl that's lying down um she's like my patient or whatever god bless her for doing that um and so she was like yeah get in touch with her so we got in touch and yeah it was a really slow build and i think in some in many definitions it wasn't even considered really a viral video It, it took a long time to hit I think when it got to, like, 7,000, I remember thinking, like, wow, dude, yeah. <laughs> it's happening. We got 7,000 views. Well, like there were
0: other false alarms, though, too, right? At one point, I had read that an A&R guy gets in touch, and maybe he's seen the video, and yeah. this is going to be the break, right?
1: Yep, And
0: yep. it wasn't.
1: No, no, it wasn't. And I don't know what I was expecting. Like, do you really go meet somebody and then, like, sign a record deal? Like, I don't I don't know what I was expecting. But I think... Um, what what the summary of that time is that I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what was what was what this meant. I didn't know how to follow it through. I didn't know what kind of help I would even need. It was really just me in court. And when it started to go, I wasn't even working at that one. I, I went from a Japanese restaurant in the East Village and I started working at, at a bodega. Mm-hmm. And it was there that it started to continue to like just build a little bit. Yeah. I had released another video called New York City Bitches, yes. which which was, you know, it wasn't it didn't it wasn't really viral, but it went, like, I remember Gothamist, like a lot of New York City places showed a lot of love yeah. and, and that was awesome. So I was working at this deli and like, there was a couple weird occasions when someone would come in and be like, are you on <laughs>
0: And
1: I'd be like, yeah, yeah. And then they would leave. And so it felt, it felt like something was, something was happening.
0: And the first sort of tangible career opportunities to to come about as a result of it would be talk. Yeah. That was uh, kind of you going Around bodegas and with a eighty something year 80, old person, eighty six year old DJ, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and just interview, kind of like riffing with people.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was, yep, yeah, that that's a what web it,
0: series, basically.
1: It was a web series, yeah. Um, it was a it was a, a company called Astronauts Wanted that was ch- uh headlined by Judy McGrath, and yep. and she was like incredible. Like she, she reached out to me at a time where like they there were viners with millions of followers that they were signing and I I was just like nobody and 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 so she she really liked the songs and she was like, you know it was my first time doing anything that was was outside of like the music video yeah. world and I remember really being really nervous about it.
0: And I think that was 2014 and I think so was Girl Code on MTV, yeah. which was a spinoff of Guy Code, which had launched a lot of comedians. Here you were kind of like a correspondent, and you think that that must have just also just grown grown the awareness a lot.
1: Yeah, I think in a in a different way, I definitely showed up to some shows that like were like like I played I play play music shows and then I showed up to a couple of like girl code shows, and people were like appalled that (laughs) that I didn't know how to do stand up. They were like, "How does she not like? What does she exist for if she's not if not for stand up?" Um, Yeah, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah.
0: And then you're continuing though to put out like because I think it was also also 2014 maybe that you actually put out the first. I don't know if you would call it a EP or a, a what do you call it? A, yeah. an album like of a, a not. You'd put out a few of these singles, but now it was like a body of work of music, right?
1: Yeah, I, I put out my first thing that you know. I wouldn't even. I don't even know what I would call it. I, I did it on my bed, yeah, and it was yeah. like the whole thing. It was um my yeah my first project, and 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 yeah. The, and I can't believe that was all twenty four. Yeah, know, I'm thinking it's, about it's that. Pretty yeah,
0: cra- and and so also was dude. Yeah, and neighbors two was the first that you shot or which was the first
1: ever movie that I like that was the first yeah Yeah.
0: okay and both of them though right I think came about because the filmmakers in one case in the case of Neighbors 2 Seth Rogen and Nick Stoller had seen My Badge and so and liked it and same with Olivia Milch with Dude yeah 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 so Neighbors 2 I mean you just out of the blue get what a call hey we think you could be good in our movie. like how does that start
1: Well, I mean, I think around that time, I kind of went a while with, with not really being like represented and I think, and then, you know, that's when I met Itai, which, you know, match made in heaven love that guy. And so that's when I got the call to audition and I was just like, oh shit. Um, (laughs) So, you know, and, and I remember it, it being, it was a fun character, the one that I auditioned and the one that I ended up playing, it was, you know, it was, it was cool, but yeah, everything really came, came back to, to there and then, and then dude. Yeah.
0: And just everything sort of – the dots really do connect in your story because this filmmaker, Olivia Milch, who's making this movie for Netflix, had seen, I think, when she was in college.
1: Oh, yeah, right.
0: uh, My Vag. Then you do the movie for her, and I think before that's even out to the world, she's hired to work with Gary Ross on Ocean's 8.
1: Yeah, and I remember when she got hired for that. And it was – yeah.
0: Yeah, because that's a huge thing. Yeah. And now – were you even aware of the fact that she was showing him, I guess, footage of our of, dailies or whatever of you and, and saying like, this is, or or maybe it wasn't even, how, what was the situation? She's showing him the movie and he's the one that says, who's that?
1: I think, I think, yeah, as told, I think she showed him in a very early cut of dude and yeah, yeah.
0: And so now an announcement, I mean, the, the way we, the world kind of learned about this is an announcement goes out, I believe with, it's like, hey, <laughs> all these people that are household names that everybody in the world knows all these un- unbelievable actresses and Aquafina yeah, yeah. are going to be starring in Oceans 8 which obviously was a big deal to have a an all female play on the on the Oceans franchise yeah. and I'm wondering what that's like for you where like again this is before anyone has seen anything except really my vag on a on a large <laughs> scale and suddenly I think a lot of people are saying who the hell is Aquafina
1: yeah. A lot of reddits just with that, of exa- reddits. with that exact title. Yes. Um, yeah.
0: And, and, but for you is, it you know, to be going on to a set with all of these people and I think the role sort of tailored for you and all of that, is that exciting? Is that stressful? Is that, what's that like?
1: I mean, yeah, it was, it was beyond exciting. I, I think it took a while to really believe what was, what was going on. You know, I couldn't believe it. And then also an aspect of like, man, I hope I do a good job. Like, I hope that whatever, you know, because I hadn't, you hadn't seen anything or no one had, hadn't really seen anything. Like, I just really hope that whatever they, d- they do expect is, is met. That's, you know, and, and, and I, yeah, I really, I, I remember feeling that. And then, you know, obviously a degree of imposter syndrome, you know, really wondering what you're doing up there. And, and um, yes, it was stressful. Yes, it was exciting. It was, it was all of the above. But then I think, it was, it was really meeting them that I think took away a lot of that because they really, they really were so warm to me, especially given the context, like treated me like, you know, we, we, we were just all family. I think that was probably the most incredible part of like, obviously that experience was like really feeling like you're one and, and getting, and just like coming in and having a laugh, you know, that, that was really fun.
0: And it seems like you also took the prep very seriously because you know, there had been limited acting experience up to that point. And so I don't know whose idea this was, but it seems like it was a smart one that you end up working with somebody who's Coach Nicole Kidman and all kinds of great people. I think in advance of that movie, Susan Batson. What was was that? Because of, how did that start?
1: I worked with Susan like like, and she's like incredible. Yeah. She is you know it, yeah. everything that you think she is, and I I worked with her once during like before one of my my, my bigger scenes. Got yet. it.
0: And also stuff with like a magician because you're oh, playing. yeah, a play I, I with the magician <laughs> a off, more. Like, every week.
1: Yeah, I worked with the magician. I worked with the magician a lot and 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 also skateboarding <laughs> learned not learn to skateboard. Uh was still not good at magician right at, at, or <laughs> or skateboarding or you know.
0: Oprah talks about these full circle moments, right? Where just something crazy happens and you're like holy shit this really does bring it back. And in your case, the way it's been described there's a scene you're doing in New York, I think at night, very glamorous scene. You're yeah. there with Rihanna and what happens?
1: And I realized that yeah, yeah, that we're we're shooting outside of my old office that I got fired from, which was, um, yeah, I'll never I'll never forget that night. I I can like literally when I think about it, I can like smell it. You yeah. know, I don't think I ever got closure from losing that job. I I felt like a real failure. So and I still th- I still don't think that I have like immense closure. I still feel guilty that I didn't send that New York Times bestseller list out. But yeah, no, it's it, it's moments like that that you realize. Um, how things have evolved, you know, how you've evolved.
0: And was it during Oceans 8 that somebody first says, you know, hey, we're adapting Crazy Rich Asians and we would like you. I know it wasn't the the way I've heard it described by John Chu is that he and Adele Lim and, you know, like they were thinking about you before you ever knew about it, that I think it was sort of crafted for you. But you didn't, it wasn't like, hey, you've got this part, come come do it, right?
1: Yeah, no, no, not at all, no. I found out that they were doing a remake really early on, and actually I had a friend, a British actor friend, who was Asian, and he... He wrote me on Facebook and was like, "Did you know that they're remaking Cres agents? Like you should go audition?" And I was like, "Okay, yeah, I'll call up the audition <laughs> operator and set myself up with one." But I remember thinking like like I you know, I didn't know how to audition like i don't I don't know what to gain from this message. Um, <laughs> but I remember thinking that it was really cool that they were remaking that and that that would mean something. And I don't even think that i, I brought it up. I think I brought it up to my to my manager and just said, "Oh, isn't it cool that they're that they're remaking it. but I I didn't know that they were thinking about. Yeah, I did. not
0: Well, and I think one thing we should just say in case people I think most people that that would be listening to this podcast know this. But just in case the cultural significance of the movie, aside from anything else, is just that first movie in 25 years Mm -hmm. where the principal cast in a contemporary set Hollywood film was all Asian. The one before that 25 years earlier was the Joy Luck Club. And I was just wondering if that had been a movie that had any significance in your life
1: it it did i mean the joy luck club is is a, is a very harrowing movie it's beautiful in in what it means and and how it ties together you know asian asian women but i think that when i watched it growing up it was it felt it, it, it's yeah it was a it was a big movie for you but you know whereas crazy rich Asians is very celebratory in what it means i think the joy luck club also kind of teaches you a lot about like how you know why? Why our parents brought us here and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, it is. It is. It was a very so. To come
0: back to your casting process here. So you're you're saying like it was just like this pipe dream. It wasn't even a pipe dream, right? But so now, how did that materialize that you actually got to come in and audition?
1: Well, I think event from that first initial message that was like you should go audition and call yeah. up
0: the audition <laughs> just that one. Right.
1: I think maybe a year had passed, mm-hmm. like a long time had passed, and I was asked. To read for the role and then realizing that it was for Paik Lin. And I was like, oh man, that's so awesome, you know? <laughs> and then meeting with John and and Nina and, and I, you know, I Skype with them and then we, I auditioned in person and I remember John slipped in. He was like, well, just do, do can you do this line in Chinese? And I had known enough to just do, to just kind of just like bullshit <laughs> right. a little bit and, and say the line. And, and yeah, so I remember that it was fun. Yeah. But
0: was this, when you, when you finally do go in for that audition, where was it chronologically with relative to Oceans? Was that out yet or pro- it wouldn't have been out? Of course not, because it came no, out the it same was, it summer. It
1: wasn't out. Um, but
0: could they have would they have even seen footage of Oceans or were they inviting you to audition based on something else?
1: I don't I don't I don't even thinking about it. I don't remember, but maybe around the same time as. Maybe after.
0: So they're seeing maybe some footage. They'd seen maybe some. No,
1: no, no. I I think after I got, I had confirmed oceans.
0: Oh, I got it. So, okay. So your name was now somebody that they would be, all right, this is somebody we might know. More or less. Yeah. Know, yeah. Okay. You go to work on this with this crazy wig, and and <laughs> the scene that I think maybe gets talked about the most, and we had Ken Jong here uh, a few months ago. and yeah. He was. He's. I think your biggest fan oh, in the whole I world. Love him
1: so I'm his biggest fan. Yeah. I love
0: him. And the but you guys together were hilarious. And I <laughs> the way it's the way it's been reported, it was largely improvised. That dinner scene is that true?
1: Oh yeah. Oh especially. Oh my god. Oh we <laughs> couldn't. And, and, you know, even, even Constance who, you know, like, you know, she, she, we, she, broke, like we all, we couldn't, we couldn't take it. It was, it was just really, yeah, we had so much fun and yeah, all of Ken's stuff was improvised for sure.
0: And for you, I mean, I don't think there was probably much improv on Oceans 8 and what had you, I can't imagine that you would had a reason to do much improv before that. So even though, you know, comedy, that's obviously a, a element of it but you just sort of were natural and improv
1: I don't I don't know I don't that's yeah it's just like oh yeah I'm a super na- yeah I don't I don't know <laughs> no but um, you enjoyed
0: it you felt comfortable doing I definitely
1: it. enjoy it I yeah. enjoy it a lot and I think that with John you know John Chu is is like he's he's just like the like the coolest dude ever and like we laugh we, we would laugh a lot yeah and I think just knowing that you know as a friend that he that he had that sensibility and then and then also having that trust from our friendship and then bring it to the movie. I think that, that was really what put the fire in my ass to just like do it. I liked making John laugh. Yeah. And, um, I thought that the character was really fun and the wig, every, just everything, my pajamas. (laughs) Um, yeah,
0: yeah. great. Thank you. Well, so, okay. The movie, when it came out, obviously it was popular way beyond just certainly the, the Asian community. Everybody loved this, but, it was reported frequently and, and I thought it was pretty moving just to hear how much it meant to people from of Asian descent. Yeah. And I wondered for you even seeing footage for the first time, seeing the film completed, what was that like that you were at the center of something that was sort of with very little precedent.
1: I, I was moved to tears watching some like John, you know, sometimes when we'd hang out, just show us little, little pieces. And I think one of the first things he showed me, I think it was the the reveal of tiresol. And I remember, crying. And it was, you know, I, I, I could, I can't even really explain it. It just, it was so powerful. Just, um, the images of us and also like what that meant. And I think that for any movie as you know, that I've done, I think that you never, no one knows what's going to happen. Like no one, no one's like, well, obviously it's going <laughs> to like, you know, no one, no one knows. So, but knowing that like the feeling that you feel could be felt by others, I think that was really, really moving.
0: So in one summer you've starred in A huge all-female film, a huge all-Asian descent film. Uh, You, at the end of that summer, beginning of that fall, I think only the second person of Asian descent to host SNL. All this stuff is happening in a pretty compact time frame. And I believe you were out of the country working for when those movies open. Mm -hmm. But so when did it actually dawn on you that your life was going to be very different?
1: You know, I I think... It was um, I, you know, and and that's and that's also like such a tr- tricky thing because what is different? Me, I may mean, still hate myself every day. I get up and I just really just just like, what what are you? And then but then also at the same time, the scope of things are changing. I think, and then also at the same time is we're we're, we're getting older, you know, and we're we're going through that, and we're we're accepting new stages in our lives. So. I think that for a long time, I had really been in production. I, 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 Cool things were happening, but I never released a movie. I didn't know really know what that was like. And Dude ended up coming out the April before Ocean. So it, up, it was filmed wow. back then, but it came out in 2018. Oh, my gosh. And it came out right – it kind of set off. It was Dude, and then it was Ocean's, and then it was Crazy Rich Asians. And, and I think seeing those movies roll out, seeing the scale at which – they they were affecting people and and people were were resonating you know it was all of that and then and then that being like wow that's that's crazy and then I kind of went and did Paradise Hills and, and the farewell so I was I was out of the country for for a minute and then I moved so I yeah
0: but was there a moment like you know I we had at one point Jennifer Lawrence on this podcast and she said that. She went, I think it was right after she'd been cast in The Hunger Games. She'd already been Oscar nominated and nobody really, nothing really changed because it was a little indie movie people didn't pay attention to. But then she gets cast in The Hunger Games Uh and she goes to the supermarket and turns around and there's like... Tons of people, photographers by the glass, trying oh. to shoot. Oh, some, moments like that. Where, no,
1: that hasn't happened to me. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> I I mean, know, it no, was, yeah, but I know, mean, how about like matter.
0: people where did you find that, you, you know, when you go out on the street, you go do things, it's different.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, when you're in the within the Asian American community, like, for instance, if I'm going if I'm walking in Koreatown on either coast in, mm-hmm. in East Coast or West Coast, New York mm-hmm. or L.A., like I, I've always and and especially in New York, there's always an Asian person that's kind of like, oh, Aquafina, like, hey, what's up? And but it was it wasn't until like non-Asian people started to rec- I think that was um, <laughs> that was like that was the sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And was that jarring, frightening, uh, cool? You know, to know that it, it had that things had gotten to that point.
1: Yeah, I think I think it d- definitely definitely was cool. Yeah, yeah I I um like i said i just i just had no idea what what that what that even felt like i knew what it was like to be in production but i didn't know what 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 happens after but you know i mean it's still i mean like yeah i'm i'm still like the same bummy person (laughs) that just kind of like slouches around i don't you know but that you know that doesn't happen a lot
0: so at the time when the farewell first crossed your radar you had shot oceans eight but it hadn't come out and what was maybe you were in the middle of crazy rich Asians when
1: when I heard when did, about it yeah film.
0: when what was going on when you first heard
1: I think I had just got gotten finished with oceans or, or some something like that and maybe I hadn't left to to crazy rich Asians yet and I I remember getting the script and, and um, it was very powerful stuff it was like a script that I was absolutely like glued to and cried and then and then listening to the podcast
0: Cause, 'cause' Lulu Wong, the writer director, had first shared this story on this American life yeah you read you got the script and then listened to this american life
1: i think I think that's how I yeah. think that I was aware of the podcast, but I wanted to read the script first and then yeah. listening to it after reading the script like it, like yeah, just like very, very moved by it and i think um I think at the time, really realizing that how auspicious of an event mm-hmm. it was because it was so it was such a real first of all a real look at not only just like the human condition but about this a specific very specific time in in this Asian American Chinese American family's life with this girl and a grandma at the center and that was very very like I can't believe this is this exists
0: right because yeah. so much to relate to for you. I mean, and also not just the, the close relationship with the grandmother, but the cop sense of being between two worlds, yes. all this stuff. Do you think that is why your manager or whoever put that at the top of the pile?
1: Yeah, I think, I think he did. And, you know, when he brought it to me, he literally was just like, I'm not even gonna tell you what it's about. Like, I'm not, I'm not even gonna just, just get into it yeah I, I knew that there were there would be hurdles for sure um it, a lot of it was in Chinese and I you know I knew I mean that probably takes me out of the running right there and and yeah it was it was dramatic so i I didn't know if I if I was ready for that
0: also, if anyone knew you for anything at that point, then obviously because these other movies hadn't come out, it was your music maybe that you have a a sense of comedy yeah, but there had been no drama up to that point, right? No, no so did you even? think going in so you're going to go meet this person who's sort of relatively uh about a contemporary of yours lulu or or you're going to send in a tape to her or whatever it was at first how are you feeling about your ability to do drama at that point not
1: good not good <laughs> i wasn't i wasn't going in to be like yeah, yeah. I, i'm gonna do <laughs> crush this yeah, yeah no i wasn't uh i wasn't like you know walking in all cocky or anything i really i think it started with the meeting with lulu realizing how similar we were, and then. And also realizing that that I think you know she was very open to the idea of like th- this direction of Billy. And I think at the end of the day, I didn't know my my capacity for getting the language stuff down, but then all, and also like the drama stuff down. But I didn't know that I related to this character like on a really deep level. Mm-hmm. I, I was sure of that, and 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 I could see where her pain was, and because I, I felt it, and I can see like how she feels like she's stuck because it's something that. I felt so many times in my life, you know, and and I think that was the only thing that I knew.
0: It seems like if I remember from what I'd read in production notes or whatever, there were certain things that you just innately got, like maybe the posture is going to be a little different for somebody that's feeling like this versus you know, when you're doing a music video or something. Yeah, I
1: mean, that orange is that's just my posture. <laughs> I, I don't have the best. As you said that, I'm literally like, like I'm slouched over so much right now. I look like a gargoyle. Oh, man.
0: but there were things, though. I, I, we did a Q&A a few days ago and you had said that Lulu's direction was helpful in terms of like just kind of steering your own yeah. inclinations, which are to be funny. Mm-hmm. How, what does she say that that h- helped you there?
1: I think she basically pointed out that I use comedy in that scenario, but then also like in my personal life, like in my life as this kind of way to fend off any heavy material and as a kind of a, you know, this, this like tick to not be in present. And I think that it's about taking your time. It's about being present in the moment, being vulnerable that I think that that comedic muscle, it just, it really, it, it, you know, that's when you have to kind of put it down. And I think once, once I realized that it did really open up like what Billy could feel and what she was okay, letting people know she was feeling.
0: And was there a a scene where you felt, you know, maybe just, this is going to be the big emotional scene. I've got to really think about how I'm going to do this, or this is going to be the, well, let's, let's start there with just the emotional scene. Was there one that you know you were kind of most uh got the blood going just in terms of uh, am i going to be able to do this how am i going to do this what's this
1: yeah i think um saying goodbye to grandma i think was a really big scene because i i had played it so many times in in my mind just what in terms of how this scene fit into the story and what it meant and and it was very moving i think i think a lot of it was in the, in the beginning, there was a lot of like, well, I'm not, I don't know how to, I'm not, I don't know how to cry. I, you know, like, I don't, I just don't know how to do it. It's not yeah. going to happen. But I think when you go into something like that, when you just see the actions, but not like what you're acting toward, you know, you, that's when I think you can get lost in like, you know, that, well, I want to make this eye cry too. I, yeah. you know, like that, but, but it was, it was also like, I was, I was deeply moved by things that I did not no, I would be so moved by it that it was literally on the day that we were shooting while I was sitting there in position that it would come over me. And I think that was also something that Lulu taught me being present in that yeah. moment, in those
0: moments as well. Even when the people are around the set, I think on that scene, we're not initially making it easy for you guys. Right. No,
1: we were being heckled that day. There was a crowd that had gathered saying bye to grandma and. Um, right. Really just, like, making fun of us and then um, crying.
0: But I think, like, it's amazing because one thing we haven't said yet on on this podcast, so a listener should know, is that the movie is shot in China, in the community where the actual Nina is residing still. You guys are all around her all the time, but not filling her in on what's going on. Her own sister (laughs) is in the movie. You guys have all of this stuff. I mean, it's like a, a, a this is. As sort of like a caper, like oceans or something, where it's like all this is going on. but I wonder if the the fact that there was this actual person going through this actual situation around you probably brings emotions to the surface more than if you were just doing it on a sound stage somewhere in l a
1: yeah, yeah, for <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was definitely that aspect, you know, we we're in we're in China. We're in the neighborhood, yes, and nineai is the real nine eye is running around, yeah,
0: and the actress who played Nine eye is like, among the top actresses in, in China, oh, yeah. right? And so, you know, when people see the scene where you, you guys are, I think it's so, every audience loves the the ha yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's interesting because even you you simulate this very close bond with, with the actress who's playing Nai, Nai but you've said you could communicate very little verbally with each other, right?
1: That was our first scene together, actually. Yeah. I, I think I had just met her, you know, maybe like a day before a dinner or something like that. And yes, there was that element of like her, not of she, you know, we both, uh, she didn't know English too well. And I didn't know Chinese mm-hmm. that well, but there still was a very, there was a warmth about her and she's so incredible at, at what she does. Like working with her was, you know, an, an honor for sure. But like when, when we were doing that. I thought like maybe you know if I made her laugh, let me see if I could do that. And I think once I did and she was receptive toward it, I think that was when our bond really flourished yeah, because yeah. that's how I communicate with my relatives there, you know, right. like my, you know, my grandma's cousins and and you know, my uncles There's you can't talk to them. So but there is another language that exists within that. You know, there is there is something that is communicated through bad Chinese or through whatever <laughs> and you know, through through laughing. Yeah. Right.
0: You know, the question that everybody comes out of this movie asking is Did they do the right thing? Is it proper to spare somebody pain while also depriving them of knowledge about their own situation? What's your take on that?
1: Sure I mean I mean I think it's something that I I really still continue to grapple with you know we I think in in any scenario if you show this movie or describe the concept to an American they would be like flabbergasted I think <laughs> we t- we take um privacy like and especially like our own medical issues we take that very seriously yeah. and we're we're grown to understand like the legal ramifications the privacy ramifications all of that but you have to understand that that tradition the other the other side mm. it really does come from I think a very cultural reverence of like, of your elders mm-hmm. and, and wanting to protect them at, at, at all costs. And I think that, you know, the right answer is really what, what you think, yeah. you know, it, and it, you know, as, as much as we can say that that is a lie that we are, we just don't get, it's, it's very common in a lot of places, yeah. you know? So it's, and it's the way that they've always done it. And I think, yeah, I, 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 un- I say that I understand.
0: And the fact one. that like, Spoiler alert. Turn it off if you haven't seen oh, yeah. the movie. Turn this off. Yeah. But like, off. I mean, the fact that she's still around still with us yeah. and still apparently doesn't know this. Maybe they did spare her a lot of unnecessary anguish. But I mean, that's a that's I guess like you're saying each person has to decide for themselves. Yeah. But as we wind down, I just want to talk about this year itself. It starts out at Sundance in January in Park City. Movie goes out to the world and you know, I'm thinking if I'm you, that might be a little bit stressful because this is the first time, you know, people have always responded to your music. They've always responded to your comedy, but they have never seen you do this before in a sort of a dramatic role. And so to go there with that knowledge and then to have it go over as well as it did, what was that like?
1: It was really incredible. Sundance was such a unforgettable experience. It was, you know, I I grew up literally like I worked in an independent movie store, when I was in high school. I like loved movies, and Sundance was such a big deal. So, to be there was really cool. And then to be there with this with this film, I think on opening night, I was with I was watching with with Ty and Diana, who play my parents, Mm. and we were sitting there and. I remember the first line in at, at, at Eccles Theatre was um, that the, everyone laughed at was like the cancer line. was like what people in China say that when you get cancer, you die. The whole audience like erupted in laughter. And I remember like we and then they turned around. They were like, what? What are they thinking? These psychopaths. But but then I realized that, like, wow, this is like just to hear it and then. And then I think after I got a couple people coming up to me, really, really emotional, like really distraught. I think one had just had just uh, her grandma had just passed away, and, and a very similar thing where she really felt like she was so alone, and, and that, like she, like she, her family is telling this lie, and she doesn't understand. And it was a kind of relatability that like I'd never seen in a movie, like someone, you know. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about it that continued to go on is it's not how you're steering people toward the emotions of this movie, but rather how this movie is reminding people of like things of their own personal yeah, loss so in a way that's sure. it's, it's, that's not like over the top or like yeah. very obvious. It's, it's subtle. And I think the people who are moved by it, I've seen people, even people who are just watching the trailer, cry so much because they think about someone they've lost. And I think that's really the, the power of it is, is how it it, it allows you to look inward for Absolutely. some people.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I think you're right. I remember from the trailer thinking this, this is something special. Like it was a very good trailer as well. So the movie comes out, huge success, passing Avengers Endgame for the highest per theater average of an opening of a weekend and all of that stuff that's happened since all the accolades and acclaim for that. And I, I guess the way I want to close if we can is just this rapid fire of just the first thing that you think oh, about dear. a few things these All are right. not uh, not too bad but let's do it you once said quote people think i'm a parody rapper like a weird out type but the tragic thing is i would love to be considered a serious musician close quote oh, is wow. that still the oh, case wow. or would you like to focus on acting exclusively
1: i'll music will always be in my life for sure yeah
0: so both will remain um yeah what can you tell us about your upcoming Comedy Central show? Give us a little tease. Something cool.
1: It's relatively autobiographical. There's an episode about Queefs.
0: <laughs> Which is also another one of your songs. Yes. Um, what would you like to see happen in the Crazy Rich Asian sequel with your character? Is there one thing you're hoping for?
1: Paiklin needs a man.
0: Needs a man. Anyone specific? Ideally. Um, I'm
1: open to anyone. So <laughs> just, yeah, let's let's see.
0: <laughs> Leave it there. Are there any roles, say, that you will not play? Sure. <laughs> but like is there is there something that you will you see it i'm not doing that
1: yeah i think that if it if it's not for the greater good of not only storytelling but just characters in general
0: yep. yeah if you get nominated for an oscar and there are a lot of people that want to see this happen will you go on the ballot as nora or aquafina uh this was a question lady gaga slash stephanie faced last year what would you like to see
1: Oh uh, wow um I haven't thought about that. Probably, probably Aquafida. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And finally, all the stuff that we've just spent an hour talking about, do you have to kind of, at, at a certain point these days, like, you know, pinch yourself to realize that this is you who all this stuff has happened to in such a short amount of time? I mean, there isn't really a precedent for this kind of career trajectory for very many people, let alone people of Asian descent. You've been a trailblazer. It's been, it's, it's a pretty amazing thing and I just wonder if you yourself are ever have the time to slow down and process it
1: yeah sometimes yeah I think it comes down to I really didn't think I I really didn't think much would happen with my life so but yeah I I really don't uh I so given that to know that I don't have to you know live under my dad's roof and, and and live off of him you know that's that's really cool yeah well
0: congratulations it's really fun to follow all of your work and it's been nice to get to meet you and thanks scott you're the best you're the best thanks
1: for having me and moderating
0: (laughs) it's great all right thank you thanks very much for tuning into awards chatter we really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on your podcast app of choice and to leave us a rating as well If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg, and you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash The Race. Finally, be sure to check out a new Hollywood Reporter podcast from my colleagues Rebecca Ford and Rebecca Sun called Hollywood Remixed, which will tackle issues related to diversity in Hollywood upon its debut on November 6th. On behalf of all of us at The Hollywood Reporter, thanks for listening.